I hope you've been praying for the, the, the preaching. I know in my time here previously at the prayer meetings, Mr. Hyam would often say, oh, do pray for the Lord's day because without his help, without the Lord's help, nothing is accomplished. We can have a, an interesting message, but what we want is to be changed from glory into glory. The aim is that we be more and more like Jesus Christ. That's always the aim in reading your Bible and reading my Bible day by day, praying, fellowshipping, taking the Lord's Supper, uh, hearing, preaching, uh, praying. It's with that great aim to encounter him and to be more and more like him. So here we are in Luke chapter 2. We've been looking at this um, occasion, Jesus at the age of 12, going up to Jerusalem with his parents. It's at the, uh, the Passover feast, and they've traveled from the, the north, Nazareth. They've made that uh, four-day journey down to Jerusalem, and I don't know how long they spent there, but the festivities lasted for seven days. Whether they were there for the whole time or part of the time, we're not told, um, but they were there, and... Uh, Jesus isn't with his parents as they travel back. They'd assumed he was with them, but they travel a day's journey back to Nazareth and then discover he's, he's not there. And eventually they go back and after three days they find him in his father's house. Well, where else would he be? That's the question he, he puts back to them. Where, where did you expect to find me? I had to be in my father's house. So last time we thought about it's too easy to assume Jesus' presence when we're actually he's, he's absent. And it can be personal to us. Maybe others know something of his presence, but we don't. Or maybe it can be a whole church that just ticks over and goes through the motions. Have we noticed? Would we notice were the Lord of the church not here, because the picture in Revelation is a, a picture of a great truth. Uh, the seven golden lampstands are the seven churches. It represents gospel churches all over the world. And there is the Son of Man in the midst of the seven golden lampstands, in the midst of the churches. So now, here and now, is he with us? His parents spend three days searching for him, and then they find him. Well, let's pick up the account Luke is inspired to give halfway through verse 46. I've got three simple points where they find him, what he was doing, and why he was there. Well, first of all, where it was that they found him. Well, again, it's in the temple, and I ask the question again, where else would he have been? Where else would he have been? They find him in the temple. But here's a little question just to, uh, to throw out for our consideration because uh, his mother puts a question to him. Uh, Son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. Was Jesus in any way responsible for his absence, for being left behind? Was he himself responsible? Well, not at all. Not at all. He was a boy at the age of 12. 
and he was his parents' responsibility. It was they who had assumed he was with them. It was they who had gone on without him. Jesus actually, having been left behind in Jerusalem, acts very responsibly. And he puts himself in a place of safety where eventually he will be found. He doesn't wander off. He doesn't go around playing with the other children. He stays in the obvious place. He's in his father's house. That's where they find him. It's always challenging to think about the person of Jesus Christ. We think of the being of God, one being, three persons. It is a profound mystery. It's revealed to us in the Bible, one being, yet Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Not three gods, one God. Behold, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And yet three persons are revealed to us, distinct in their persons, yet one in the essence of being. And then we come to the Lord Jesus Christ, another mystery. One person, two natures, fully human, human body like yours and mine, a human nature like yours and mine, except for sin. No sin is found in him. At the same time, he never ceases to be the eternal son of God. He is fully divine, one person, and two natures. As such, he genuinely has two homes. He has a home in Nazareth. He also has a home in his father's house. Where else would he be? He's in his father's house. Have you and I lost a sense of the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's interesting in the uh, elders' prayer time at the start of the, uh, the service, before the start of the service, uh, to a man, every elder was praying that we would know something of his presence, not just going through the routine, but know something of his presence. Mary and Joseph travelled a whole day. They'd assumed his presence and he wasn't with them. At the end of the day, they recognize his absence, and they begin to seek him. It takes them three days to find him. Have you and I lost a sense of his presence? When I was led to faith, it's uh, hard thinking back now, 1976, Youngsters, good to see some youngsters still here with us. Can you think of such a date? 1976, I mentioned 1980, that's 42 years ago. 1976, well, that's 46 years ago. And the night that I came to faith, what I was being promised was a relationship with God, not, not religion. I never had any time for religion and by religion I defined it as man's efforts to reach God in their own merit stand up sit down sing a song do do good things Christianity I was told is quite different to that it is supremely a personal relationship with the creator of the heavens and the earth only possible through what Jesus Christ has done I'm brought to God the Father 
in the merits of God the Son, in the power of God the Holy Spirit. The triune God is involved in this. The Father sends the Son into the world. The Son comes and He accomplishes something wonderful. He's come to take away my biggest problem. And my friends, your biggest problem this morning is your sin. And I don't know how to explain that. It's amazing how people in the world understand actually what sin is. And certainly if God is working on their hearts, they're aware of their problem, their sin, their unworthiness. And Jesus came to take that away. He did it by living a perfect life. If I'm to get to heaven, that's what I need, a perfect life. And there's no effort you can make by yourself. No process you can go through of yourself that gets rid of sin. If you were to live a perfect life, it's impossible from here on. For the rest of your life, you've got your bad record trailing behind you. Only Jesus Christ can take away sin. Only He can make a helpless sinner clean. He lived a perfect life for me. And then He dies to pay the penalty for my sin on Calvary. And sin deserves the wrath of God. The wage of sin is death. Physical death, spiritual death, eternal death. And that was Calvary 2,000 years ago, where in my place condemned he stood and sealed my pardon with his blood. And my friends, if you're saved this morning, surely there's a hallelujah, what a saviour must come from our hearts. If it hasn't come yet, if you're not yet saved, you need to be saved, get saved. How, you might ask, repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't get religious. Get reality. It's Jesus Christ who does helpless sinners good. Oh, the Lord Jesus Christ. Have we lost a sense of His presence? I was promised a relationship with Him. And we have to do all that we can as Christian people to keep that focus, to keep that central, to keep that reality because the world, the flesh and the devil mitigate against that. And the devil is happy that we degenerate back into religion. And once we're into religion, there's great peril. Because if you and I lose that objective, I'm not saying we're always living in his presence. I'm certainly not. I don't think there's a believer here who is. But it's always got to be our aim. And once we lose that, let's remind ourselves again little things become big issues. And the main thing sinks down into obscurity. Knowing Christ and making Him known has to be the central thing here on planet Earth and then done in perfection. Knowing Him, knowing more of Him. Will we know everything of Jesus Christ when we get to heaven? Certainly not. There is it's no sin to grow in knowledge. Do you think we'll know everything of God when we arrive in heaven? He is immense beyond our imagination. No, there are depths to be plunged. New discoveries to make of Him. And may it be our business here to begin that great, great theme. Knowing Him and making Him known, of course, in heaven. Well, maybe we can make Him known in heaven. Because I'll meet a fellow believer in heaven. Well, a believer, a knower. I suppose believers become knowers in, in heaven. Uh, we'll be living by sight, not by faith uh, in heaven. 
but I'm sure as we meet together at some point in the, in the universe and he fills the heavens and the earth and some new discovery you've made of the, the Lord Jesus Christ and uh, you'll be able to share it with, a, with, with a, a fellow Noah there. I'm going off on a tangent now and into some sort of, it's not wild speculation, but uh, knowing Jesus Christ and making him known. Oh, keep him in view. Do we know his presence? Do we care to find him? If this morning we're struggling in what it means to know him and how to find him, let's remind ourselves again. Here's this lovely little section in the Song of Solomon, chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. Tell me, O you whom I love, Here's the Shunammite woman uh, speaking to the one who she loves. Tell me, you whom I love, where you feed your flock, where you make it rest at noon. For why should I be as one who veils herself by the flocks of your companions? Look, it's lovely uh, to be with fellow believers. And it's a joy to be here. I'm getting to know old friends again. You're getting to know me uh, again, I hope you're not thinking, why ever did we call him? Uh, I'm amazed to be here. Maybe you're amazed that I'm here. But here we are. We're getting to know each other. And we have fellowship one uh, with another. And that's lovely. And we can talk. But surely, supremely, I want to know you, Lord. And I want to be in your presence, Lord. And there's no substitute for him. Because as we sang... All that thrills my soul is my wife. Well, no, she, she's very good, but she's no substitute for him. I can think about friends that I might have. You know, it's my birthday this coming Friday. I don't want to drop uh, the point. I'm not expecting cards and presents, but um, well, not necessarily. Um, <laughs> do you know, this coming Friday, uh, Jill and all my family in Cardiff are off to Mid Wales for a family golf tournament and, and get together. It happens once a year. It's the first time in three years because of COVID. But um, I'm staying in Cardiff, looking after the dog and uh, preaching here on Sunday. Now, I'm delighted to do uh, that. But um, no, it'll just be, be me. And on my birthday, well, I've, I've got some good friends and uh, they're coming around for a, for a takeaway. And that's, that's lovely. But they're no substitute for the Lord Jesus Christ. They, they really aren't. Can we say, is it obvious all that thrills my soul is Jesus? Because if, if, if that were the case, little things would, really wouldn't matter. Or oh, go on then. If you want to do that, that's, that's fair enough. Okay, but I, mean, I was thinking about my time at, at St. Melons. We, um, we used to have pews downstairs. And um, we don't have the lovely facilities you have out the back, big halls and an annex and upstairs and downstairs. We, we had the chapel building and a, a small hall downstairs and a slightly bigger hall upstairs. And I, I suggested in 2002 we might take the pews out downstairs uh, just to make more useful space, something more adaptable. And uh, didn't go down very well with some of the members. One or two said, over my dead, dead body. Um, but two weeks ago, they were all taken out. And it was set in motion about two years 
uh, ago. And um, those members who said over my dead body, they're still there. They haven't died. Um, and they're happy. They're happy. I, I, I learned a big lesson, and just reflecting on it recently, let's not cause trouble about little things. They don't really matter. Keep the pews. I mean, I always had a comfy seat in the pulpit. I was happy enough. It, it was them sat on the... And they were narrow and short, and you had to sit bolt upright. And, uh, and I think those who said over oh, my dead body, well, they've got older now, and it's, uh, they, they, they wanted something a little bit more comfortable. So maybe, maybe that was part of the, the issue. But the point I'm trying to make is, let's not let little things become big things. Alistair Begg has got a lovely saying he often repeats, that the main things should be the plain things. And the plain things, we must keep the main things. Jesus Christ and him crucified for sinners. There is a heaven, there is a hell. There's only one way for sinners to be saved. All that thrills my soul is the pews. No. All that thrills my soul is the old hymns. No. All that thrills my soul is a jacket and a tie. Uh, no. All that thrills my soul is Jesus. He is more than life to me and the fairest of 10,000 in my blessed Lord I see. Oh, where, where do I find you? And then the answer comes. If you do not know where I am, fairest among women, follow the footsteps of the flock and feed your little goats beside the shepherd's tents. Follow the footsteps of the flock. They will lead you to me. The sheep are coming in my direction. How do we find the Lord Jesus Christ? How do we get back to that position where all that thrills my soul is Jesus? I have no agenda apart from the gospel. Uh, Tis all my business here below to cry, behold the Lamb. How do I get to that place where I use the means of grace? I follow the tracks of the sheep and the means of grace lead me to Him. But here's another potential difficulty. The means of grace, you understand what I mean by that? Reading your Bible, saying your prayers, going to the church services, getting to the prayer meeting, having fellowship, taking the Lord's Supper, the means that God has given whereby grace might be poured into my heart. How I need grace. I'm not the finished work. And I'm looking at unfinished works everywhere. You see an artist when he's painting, they're going to be quite a mess. He knows what he's getting to. But there's pretty much of a mess around the artist's studio and on that, on that canvas. And you think, what, what, whatever is this painting going to be? And I'm not talking about that abstract. That's not, no, I won't go down that line. Maybe some who quite enjoy that sort of art. But I, I, like, I like an old master and something. I, I can see what it is when it's finished. I haven't got a guess. That, that's my preference. But on the way to it. Now, in heaven, you'll see something quite different too. To this. But for now, I'm an unfinished work. How I need the grace of God. And His power is brought into my life through prayer and the Bible and preaching 
and fellowship and the Lord's Supper. Those four pillars that are there in Acts chapter 2 and verse 42. But here's the problem. I can use the means as an end. I can say, well, I've read my Bible, I've said my prayers, I've been to the church service. But keeping focus the aim, every time you come to church or open your Bible, discipline yourself, I need to discipline myself, Lord, what's the object? Why am I doing this? Object of my first desire, Jesus crucified for me. It's a means to encounter him. So whether I'm in the services or in my own prayer time, sharing Christian fellowship, taking the Lord's Supper, I'm looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of my faith. Look, the word is absolutely vital, but the word should lead me to him. It's word and spirit. So you've changed your, we've changed I need to keep on using the we. I talk of St. Melons as us, and, but no, that's, that's them, and we, we are we. Here, we've changed our logo recently uh, as a church, and there's an open Bible, and there is the dove. It's the Word and the Spirit, and that balance. In reading the Bible, I can know the facts about the Lord, but what I want to do is to encounter Him. In human relationships, we can know facts about each other, but I'm not interested in interacting with a list of facts about you or about my wife or about my friends. If my friends say to me on my birthday, well, actually, no, we, we can't come, but we're sending a list of what we're like. Six foot, 13 stone, age, what we're wearing. And I'm sat there with my party hat on, my blower and my takeaway. I'd rather have my friends there. And I can be sat here with this wonderful, wonderful word of God. What a gift, what a glorious gift. But I can't make this the end. It must be him. It must be him. So, there's the first point covered and it's quarter to 12. Now then, what was he doing? It's where he was. He's in the temple what was Jesus doing? Well, three things that he's doing. We can look at them briefly. He was sitting, he was listening, he was asking. Here it is, verse 46. They found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking questions. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and his answers. He was sitting among the teachers. He's in the temple courts. He's sitting among the teachers. Let's remember when it is the Passover festival. And all the top teachers and theologians in Israel would have been in Jerusalem at the time at the temple courts. And they were there teaching in the various alcoves and porticles around the temple area, there'd be the famous teachers of the time and they'd have disciples gathered around them, little crowds that would gather and may there, there'd be seminars going on and there'd be lectures on this aspect but it would all be about the, the, the Passover. It was a great time to hear good teaching in Jerusalem. Oh, 
we, we enjoy such times as the, the Aberystwyth Conference. There's Word Alive, the, the, there's Keswick. I'm looking forward to the Bala Ministers Conference, June the 13th to the 15th, and ministers from around Wales are going to gather together. And this year, we've got... Um, I, I always think in non-conformity, we've got two uh, men in, in Wales in particular who are so wonderfully uh, a gift of the Lord to, to local churches in Wales and wider as well. Uh, one has been my, was my uh, young assistant at St. Melons for two years, Peter, Peter Milson. And, but this year in Bala, we've got uh, Stuart Olliot and he's going to be opening up, experiencing God. Well, I'm looking forward to that. And in Jerusalem, there is the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, and he is sitting, and he is listening, and he's giving attention to those men who are teaching, and he's keen, and he's eager. And what about us here this morning, sitting and listening and eager and keen? You know, there are folks who say, I didn't get much out of that service. I don't have much time for comments like that. You know, do we pray such as Psalm 130 and verse 18? Oh Lord, open my eyes that I might behold wonderful things out of your law. But Jesus is sitting and he's listening. Who's he listening to? Listening to them. These are... Scribes, Pharisees, teachers of the law. And you know what state Israel was in at the time, religiously and spiritually. And I'll tell you this, he, he was listening to them respectfully. Wherever you might go, if you end up in a gospel church, whatever you go, whatever you hear today in a gospel church will be infinitely more beneficial than Jesus was hearing 2,000 years ago at the Passover in the temple courts because they were talking about types and shadows and figures. Any gospel preacher, if he reads the gospel, he's done your soul good. If he reads from Matthew, Mark, Luke or John and Acts and the letters and Revelation, he's done your soul good. And then he will try with the gifts that he had. We're thinking last term... Last uh, Wednesday, here in the Bible study about gifts and use of gifts, and uh, we all have a gift, and uh, we looked at the parable of the talents. Some have five, some two, some one, and, and some preachers have got five talents, and some two, and some, some one. But to, to listen to a one-talent preacher is a wonderful blessing if he's a gospel preacher. Oh, I didn't get much out of that. Shame on you. Shame on me. What have we put in? He's speaking about Christ. He really is. And whatever you hear. And Jesus sat and he's sitting and he's listening. And there were Passover lessons that were being taught. Can you imagine what the various seminars were about and the little areas? And, and come here, here's, uh, here's Rabbi Hezekiah and he's going to give a, 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 a lecture and a talk on the, um, on the, the Lamb that had to be selected for the Passover. 
uh, and here's Brother Jeremiah, and he's giving a seminar on the, uh, the parting of the Red Sea. And here's a, another one. And all these speaking about uh, redemption and the exodus uh, and the lamb uh, and the blood that had to be daubed on the lintels and the, 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 the safety and the peril of the, the firstborn uh, in, in the family and the actions that needed to be taken. They couldn't be passive. They had to do uh, something and the freedom that they had from Egypt. And Jesus, he sat there and he is listening and he is... This is difficult. Is he learning? Is he learning? He grew in wisdom. We're told that. And in stature and in wisdom and in favor with God and with, with men. But he had to learn in his human nature. Of course he had to learn. He wasn't born speaking. He wasn't born knowing everything from his human nature. He remained the eternal Son of God. But as a human, there are things he had to learn. And for us, there is much to be learned. Learning about Jesus. He's sitting. He's listening. And then, I think this will be my last point this morning in this uh, little section on... What are we looking at? What was he doing? He's sitting... He's listening. Let me conclude with this. He's, he's asking questions. I mean, that's wonderful. He's asking them questions. This was an encouraged teaching method in, in Israel at the time. That as the rabbi was speaking, you would interact with him. And he encouraged that. Now, we can't really do it here when I'm speaking from the pulpit. Time is moving on. It's now 10 to 12. And I hope you haven't put the meat on too high a setting, but you, you can't really, in, well, you could, but we'd have to move on. But is there a forum where we can ask questions? And Jesus was asking questions, genuine questions. Uh, he's not displaying his knowledge, he's looking for answers. Maybe he's looking for clarification, he's looking to help them, to nudge them, to warn them, warn them. Uh, he's not arrogant or critical or angry at those rabbis. There's something very winsome about what he's doing, but he's asking questions. I found um, J.C. Ryle helpful here. He asked them questions. Whether as a teacher, he had authority to ask, or as a learner, he had humility so to ask. I know not. Well, I'll leave it there myself. Did he need to learn things? J.C. Ralph says, I, I don't know. Was he asking questions as a teacher? I, I, don't, I, I leave it there. But he was asking questions. Now, let me conclude here. I think there's a, a wonderful example and a lesson. Listen, Jesus is 12. Children, good to have you here this morning. Good to have the adults too. I think here's an example. Do we ask questions? Children, do you ask questions? I'm sure that you, you do. At St. Melons, our regular practice was the, uh, the children, once they had reached school age, stay in the morning service. And it was lovely seeing the pews filled and sprinkled around in the sermon when the preaching was going on. 
And you might think, oh, I, I, can they? Yeah, they learned to sit. They, they did. I remember when I was here as a student, and in the gallery here sat uh, Richard and Joyce, and in between them, they were the bookends, were the, uh, yeah, you used to sit there, Peter, yeah, and uh, your brothers and, and, and your sister, and they, they learned to, to sit there, they, they, they did, and anyway, the point I'm getting to is this, so often at the end of a service, I'm at the door, there's a tug, Andy, Andy, and they called me Andy, and I, I, I did encourage that, I wanted this warm relationship with, with the children, I want that with you here, children too, uh, what, what you said about, and on the Monday, there'd be a little text would come through from parents. I remember a video being sent through, two little lads, one was um, eight, and the other four. Andy, we were taught, we were being taught about the angel of death going over at the Passover. Who was the angel of death? My brother says it was Satan. I think it was Jesus. Who, who was it? They'd been listening to the sermon and they were discussing together, eight and four, about the angel of death. Who was he? Oh, don't, don't think, children, don't take things in. And discussions over the dinner table I hear about with, with, with parents. And my grandchildren sending questions. What was God doing before he created us? Oh, how wonderful. Jesus, sitting, listening, asking questions. Who is he? The eternal son of the living God. Why has he come into the world? To take away our sin. And at that Passover, he's hearing from these men. And of course, he himself is going to become the fulfillment of all the Passover pictures and all the lectures he's hearing about I'm sure he didn't say it to them in any arrogant tone. By the way, do you know? But he knew. He was to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. My friends, has he taken away your sin? If not, trust him now. Repent. Turn from self. He's going to end up bad. Judgment. Death. Hell, despair, forever. Turn, turn to God. Trust in Jesus. He lived for you. He died for you. He rose again. God have mercy on me, a sinner. Know what it is to be forgiven. Peace with God. Certainty of heaven to come. Children, has it happened to you yet? If not, why ever not? There's an open door. Jesus Christ has taken the door off his hinges and the Spirit is beckoning you in. If you have been saved, me and you, oh, let's live lives that show it. Let's live thankful lives. And let's talk together about these wonderful things. I had more to say, but we'll leave it there. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for an all too brief time in your word. Thank you for the Sabbath that was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And pray this will continue to be, may be our heart's desire to know something of heaven on earth as we gather together on each occasion. We commend each other to your care now. Help us to be those who sit and listen and ask in such a way, looking to encourage one another. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.
well, we've had a few Sankey-type hymns. We're going to finish with a really good, solid, focused hymn. Very experimental uh, as, as well. One of uh, Wesley's hymns, oh, sh- Thou shepherd of Israel and mine, the joy and desire of my heart, for closer communion I pine, I long to reside where thou art. Let's stand and sing. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God our Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit 
be with us all now and forever. Amen.